Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 256. Clearly, I've made a terrible mistake. Recorded October 16th, 2016, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the only place on the internet where geeks rant. I am your host, Mark, sometimes known as the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel. And joining me this week, as they always do, at least recently, are your friends and mine, uh, the gooey kid, Mr. Seth Anderson and Miles, the coin master, Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the new normal. <laughs> and Chiching from Arizona. How you doing? So, you know, I used to introduce Chris first and then Seth, but now that Chris is gone, Seth has moved up in the rotation. So now it's Seth and then Miles. And it and really messes so. me up because I like to throw <laughs> something random and stupid out there, but then, you know, I don't want to do that and then have Miles try to follow it. So it, you've really, you've crimped one of the few things I bring to the show. Mark. Well, I mean, I could always go back, but I just felt you deserved, you know, uh, more top billing. Chris had top billing because originally way back when this was his show, he was the Linux guru. I was just the bloviator and you represented the, the normal folk. Um, and it was his show. He got first billing in, in, in the, the liner notes and, and all that stuff. Uh, so, so I introduced him first, but now that he's, you know, abandoned us, I just figured I'd move you up in the rotation. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I guess you're forcing me to grow and like become yeah. a responsible member of society. And it's just, I don't like that. This new hippie upstart, you know, I, I can't give him top billing. <laughs> no it's all about tenure come on that's right uh, somebody referred to me as the senior member of my team at work and I, I i was like well i've been there longer than everybody i guess by definition that makes me the senior but it doesn't make me more special certainly doesn't mean i know more it just means that i signed the dotted line a couple of months before some other people <laughs> i don't understand seniority i don't i just don't understand that concept of the guy who's been here the longest gets you know treated differently I, 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 I guess it's a common military thing that uh, came over into corporate life. Uh, if you've had enough crap heaped upon you, you deserve to get some some recompense for it, I suppose. It just doesn't make sense to me. Well, technically, if you've been there longer, you then you one of the benefits you provide is I used to know the term, but basically corporate history. So, you know, there's just certain things in the company that don't happen very often. And when they do. How did we handle this last time? Oh yeah, we did this, and so continuity is that the word? N- no, no, there's okay. a the word I'm thinking. It might very well be the word, but it's not the word that I've used in the past to describe it. And so that makes you more valuable because you understand the business culture and how we arrived at that point. So, but like one of my teammates, for example, I'm not going to get too specific, obviously, because I don't have anybody's permission to talk about them. But one of my teammates has roughly a decade more experience in this field of work. Um, you know, we're roughly the same age. We roughly we began our jobs roughly at the same time. But I had 15 years in a whole different career, a whole different thing. And some of those skills transferred over to my new job, but many of them didn't. She has an entire decade more experience than I do, and yet I'm considered the senior person because I was hired first. It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> well, okay, it doesn't have to make okay. sense. All right. just the Sorry. way it is. Just moving on. Um, I don't, anyway, just going to leave it at that. Uh, I, I did want to mention the, the title of the show tonight. It comes from, uh, from my per, deeply personal experience that happened to me uh, just today, as a matter of fact. So I'm, I'm, all, I'm all about vulnerability um, and uh, openness with the audience. So I'm going to share the terrible blunder 
that uh, that I made. Uh, my my oldest daughter, my baby girl, um, tomorrow uh, turns fourteen, and so in a moment of blind insanity, I thought f- my gift to her. Um, as she blossoms into womanhood, would be to give her a professional makeover. I have a friend who does that sort of thing. And uh, so my friend came to the house, gave her a full, you know, first grown-up big girl haircut with the highlights and the styling and the whole thing. And then they went and disappeared into the back room for a while and gave her a a makeup lesson. This is how a a grown-up big girl woman applies makeup. And she came out, and I thought, clearly, I've made a terrible mistake. Because my daughter is now a hottie, and that is not okay. That is not okay. <laughs> so happy birthday to my daughter, Ab- excuse me, Abigail. She no longer, no longer goes by Abby. She's now Abigail. Um, and stop growing up. <laughs> it happens, dude. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> oh, well, time to, uh, I don't know, what, what's the, what's the firearm um, structure there in Georgia. You know, in Texas, you can pretty much carry them around with you wherever you go. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, Mark. You know, you've got daughters. Interestingly, I don't live there. I, I'm about literally a thousand yards. I'm, I'm less than a, a half a mile from uh, the next city over. And in that next city, it is still a law on the books that the head of ho- household must own a gun. Um, it was put really? in there, you know, however many hundreds of years ago. But it's still on the books. Every head of house, household is required to own a gun in Kennesaw, Georgia. Um, wow. So I'm not there yet. But that just to give you a, a sense of um, the uh, ideas about of gun ownership here. It's not quite open carry like in Texas where you can walk around with your AK hanging off your back. Um, I, actually, I think, honestly, I think at this stage in, in our lives, if you have a daughter and they enter that 14 through 17-year-old window you reach the most vulnerable time in a male's life ever in that that is your baby out there and you're just paranoid night and day there's nothing you can do about it you just have to start learning to deal with it yeah well you know clearly it's time to purchase many many firearms Um, Mm -hmm. yeah or at least good replicas that you can convince (laughs) the boys are real when they come over and get your daughter into karate lessons. That would be my advice. And buy her mace. Uh, you know, that's not a bad idea. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when they hit that age, you know, I, I don't know, hormones in the meat, whatever, uh, girls are maturing faster than I remember them at my age. You know, I didn't know, know any, you know, maybe one or two girls in my high school had boobs at 12 or 13, That, but that generally came later. Um, and now, you know, I, 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 all my girl, my daughter's friends are developing much sooner um, and I just don't know that either they intellectually or the, the boys that they hang, hang around with uh, emotionally are prepared to deal with that level of change at that age. Uh, obviously, they're not because we at our age are not prepared to exactly. deal with that level of change. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't prepared to that, uh, for that until, you know, six months ago. Uh, so, anyway. Uh, so, Seth, uh, you last week had uh, a real milestone in your fitness journey. Have you been following that up? Did you did you follow up your forty thousand step uh, day with a with a fifty thousand step day this week? Oh, definitely not. I've been. 
you know, I mean, I did that on Friday and then I slept a 13 hour Saturday and that screwed up my sleep schedule. So my sleep schedule this week was like four to 4 a.m. to 10 a.m. Um, I did get like, you know, close to my 10,000 steps every day and I did my run in for three days, but this was just a pedestrian, uh, physical activity week for me. Well, you know, as long as you don't completely fall off the wagon. Yeah, and I'm planning to do my uh, five my official 5K for this month. I'm planning to do that this coming Saturday. So if all goes well, I should be able to report on that next podcast. Cool. So I uh, good, this good luck on that one. Friday. Uh, sorry, Seth. Uh, Miles, what'd you say? I was just wishing him the best of luck. Thank you. Uh, my, uh, my daughter's church youth group, uh, as a fundraiser, we work at the concession stands at the high school football game. I don't really know how that works. I guess each volunteer gets paid a certain amount. And uh, anyway, so I, I was in there. I volunteered. Uh, I was voluntold that it was my day to show up Friday. Uh, so after my regular, you know, day of work, uh, however many dozens of hours that was, it feels so long. Um, I came home. I changed into some scrubby clothes out of my tie and I went to the concession stand. I was like, all right, boss, you know, put me in coach. I'm ready to work. And I was standing in the line, handing out drinks or whatever. And, and, you know, about 20 or 30 minutes after opening, it became clear that the people who were supposed to run the fry room weren't going to show up. And I made the mistake of mentioning that I had done that in college. (laughs) So guess who spent the next six hours running the fryers? Um, (laughs) And just, Silly man. yeah, uh, it was fine. You know, I, I walked downstairs uh, to church this morning. Somebody who'd been working with me said, we're out of fries. And it was like a non flashback. I start, started, you know, screaming. Um, <laughs> it was unbelievable. I, I would just go as fast as we could crank them out. Uh, the, the person would say, all right, we're, we're good. We got 10 orders of fries in the holder. And then like 30 seconds later, we're out of fries. And <laughs> so I'd start over again. But anyway, my, the, the, where I was going with this was, uh, for about six hours, I was standing in a, you know, a room three feet, uh, five feet by seven feet, you know, an average prison cell running back and forth from one fryer to another. And just moving those three feet, my Fitbit said I had something like 16,000 steps that day. And the next day, I couldn't stand up. I literally could not stand up. I stood up and my legs said, oh, no, no, you're sitting down now. Um, <laughs> and, you know, when I was 20, I did that every day, but not so much when I'm 44 getting old sucks it does um okay there's that uh miles you you said last week you had threatened to cut the cord did it happen yes it did it did i you know i i put myself on this 30-day plan to say well i'll just try out not using my direct tv subscription a week into it i'm like i'm done with it i just called him up i said Okay, uh, this isn't working for me anymore. Sorry, I've been with you guys for a decade, but it's uh, it's over, you know. And then, of course, they try and do the uh, oh, let me put you to through the to the retention specialist. Yes, yes. Like I don't need to speak to the retention specialist, but actually, they were really good about it. I'll give Directv credit on that. Um, they were very nice. They understood my rationale for leaving them. I guess they'd heard it all before. And they said, well, you know, if you ever want to come back, we'd love to have you back. And I'm thinking, you know, that's that's better customer service than I expected. So, um, yeah, I'm just kind of – I'm not sad to leave DirecTV because I really wasn't using them anyway. But, um, yeah, it's all good. And now I'm watching – I'm actually discovering shows on free-to-air TV, particularly PBS, that I, you know, watched years ago, forgot about, 
and I'm kind of returning back to them and I'm becoming like a bit of a this old house, you know. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Fan. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's kind of cool. So, I don't know, you know, it's all fun. Yeah, same thing because, you know, when, when they went digital, suddenly there was all this spectrum that people had. And so Channel 5 now has 5.1, 5.2, 5.3. I think they got something like 40 different bands. And so they started just throwing out their old catalog of I Love Lucy and, and uh, Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch. And the, we have like three channels, four channels in the Atlanta area that show all that old stuff. And my kids are rediscovering great old television. Um, and it's, it is kind of a, a renaissance of sorts. Yeah, it's funny when you when you don't have three hundred channels of stuff on the TV to sort of go through and try and work out what you want to watch. Um, you end up appreciating just a fewer number of channels that have good quality stuff. I'm like rewatching all the old episodes of Seinfeld. I forgot about. It's great. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a limit really, and it kind of varies for different people. But they say it's between eight to ten. That once you have more choices than that, you're effectively blocked from being able to make a choice i can i can remember when i was a kid and we had like a total of five channels we could get and two of them was one was a station out of dallas and one was a tyler so they showed the same thing all the time but i could always find something on tv and now that i have you know satellite and netflix and amazon prime not to mention dvds and youtube and all that it's like there's literally nothing on I want to watch. So, um, you know, when you get those fewer choices, sometimes you, you do really appreciate more um, what you have. Yeah, very true. Yeah, and I, uh, uh, along those lines, I think I mentioned it last, uh, recently, I don't remember, but, uh, you know, uh, I know uh, Seth had talked about completely having binged watched uh, uh, Luke Cage. Luke Cage. I'm sorry, I'm trying to multitask and it's not going well for me. Um, and I, I'm still only on to episode two. I watched the second episode this week. Uh, and it, as I thought it might be, it, it really began to pique my interest. Episode one was slow. Episode two picked up. And we're really at this point where Luke Cage is, is like, all right, I'm, I'm going to come out in the open. I'm going to start doing some stuff here. And uh, it, it was, it's a, I'm sure there's a term for it. And if I went to film school, I would know it. But where the first two minutes of the of the episode and the last two minutes of the episode were the same, uh, so you see the thing, and then you see what led you to that thing, and then you see the last you know uh, ninety second denouement after the thing. Um, I really like that that device. It's not. I don't think it's used often enough, but uh, it, it was used to great effect in episode two. So I'm all in now. But I'm gonna pace myself. Uh, I like to at least try to watch shows one episode a week because then I get you know, 12, 13, 14 weeks, however long it is to enjoy it as opposed to binge watching it. And then it's over. I binge watched, uh, I tried to, to not binge watch daredevil, but I just couldn't do it. It was so good. I found myself going, okay, maybe one more episode. Okay. Maybe one more episode, but I'm going to try to hold back on Luke Cage. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I think that really helped me enjoy. I mean, daredevil one was just so awesome, but I was in Hawaii and I didn't have Netflix at the time. So I watched it with my brother and we watched, three episodes a night because you know i mean i wasn't there long enough to do one a night and so it was like you got enough to be hooked like you had watched a movie and then but it always let i was wanting more for like a whole week and uh and i think that was part of what made it so awesome yeah good stuff uh and just really quick there how about them cowboys uh they are now six and one and a decisive six and one uh all you people who were were saying the cowboys are you know, can't do anything without Romo. 
Uh, now, now it's time for you to say that they'll they won't be able to do anything when Romo comes back. But I'm telling you, <laughs> six and one, whatever you say, and 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 these weren't uh, bleeps and bloops games. I mean, the only one that was really a close game was the one they lost. Everything else they have dominated. So go Cowboys. Yep. <laughs> uh, of course, it was America's game of the week, everywhere except in Atlanta, where the Falcons played Seattle at the same time. Uh, but. <laughs> There are ways. We have ways of letting you see your games. So I watched it today, and it was good stuff. Another thing I watched this week, because I felt it was my duty as an American, and for no other reason, I watched the two uh, presidential debates. Uh, well after they had originally aired, I didn't watch them live. And my daughters came into the room several times throughout it. I, I, I told myself I was going to watch them back to back. I just could not. After the first one, I just could not do any more of that. And... um and my daughters were asking me, "Why are you watching this?" And I said, "It's my homework as an American citizen. If I'm going to, if I'm going to vote, if I'm going to take an active part in our democratic republic, I need to be educated. This is my homework as an American citizen." And uh, my youngest put it best when she said, "Sometimes being an American sucks," um, <laughs> and that's how I felt watching these uh, these two debates. Um, I, you know, I think I can conclusively say, without really offending anybody. These people are nutbags. Either one of them. I mean, if you're a Trump supporter, you think Hillary's nuts. If you're a Hillary supporter, you think Trump is nuts. I happen to think you're both right. (laughs) These people are freaking insane. And one of them is most likely going to be leading the country. You know, I have come up. If anybody asks me what I think of the current election, my my answer is, do you want cancer in your right lung or do you want (laughs) cancer in your left lung? Because I have yet to see and I, I haven't watched the debates because let me ask you was there anything substantive 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 in in either of the debates no or was it just more crap no it was uh it was name calling and abuse and i think of the probably 50 questions asked between the two debates one of them got an answer um by one of the candidates uh but no nothing new but it does um it gives you a sense of how these people are going to hold up for, uh, you know, a press conference, for example. Uh, and these people can hold their composures for brief moments of time, but for 90 minutes, it's just too much. Neither of them has the self-control to to hold up. And, and as much as I am anti-Hillary Clinton for a lot of reasons, she smoked debate uh, Trump in both those debates. Just utterly mopped the floor with him both times. Yeah, she does make him look like a five-year-old. That's the the difference. Whether or not she's, you know, got the ultimate answers to everything, who knows? But when it comes to just that perception, it's pretty obvious who's the pro at this. So there you You go. The only the funny thing about debates and about this election is that in Australia, where I come from, uh, voting is mandatory. It's not an option. So people don't really care uh, as much about the voting and and. It's just sort of like a mandatory, oh, I've got to go and vote. You know, so it's a drudgery thing. Um, in America, of course, it's optional. You don't have to vote. But I think because you have the choice, people take far more of an interest in the content, which is great, uh, as long as they're getting all the facts. I mean, it's great. But, but I mean, only yeah. about 30 to 5 to 40% of people actually vote. So I don't know that. And I think of the, I think those are the rabid people on either side that vote. Uh, it's more like in the 50s or, or if a really 
high turnout puts the election about 60% for presidential election cycles. Yeah. That's been the of eligible voters. So, Miles, is it uh, compulsory in all elections or just in the, the top elections? Uh, no, in all, but they bundle it together so okay. that you have, like, you know, when a top election comes, everything is elected at the same time. Yeah, I am. I am woefully ignorant about almost all other cult countries' political processes. Uh, I know more about England only because we stole great big chunks of it for ours. Uh, I need to do some reading up on that. Well, the good news about the U.S. election, if there is some, maybe you've got to take some positive out of this, is that it's very easy to understand. Well, uh, no, actually, I might have to roll this statement back. Originally, I was going to say it's very easy to understand the ide- ideology of one party versus the other, but not so much these days because I sort of think like there's a there's a whole third party factional revolutionary break away from these two ideologies that are going on, and that's what's causing confusion across the ranks. Because um, I, I I don't know I, I look at Trump and I don't think he's a Republican. No. Uh, oh, he's not. He's not. And so, if he's representing the Republicans, I, I get why they're upset, because their ideology isn't being represented. So, yeah, I get that. But you almost think this is a third party that should have formed here, but yeah. it didn't. So I saw a great quote today. Some people are, are worried about a third party. I would just be happy to have two. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's the way I feel at this one, you know, and-, and the the ways in which Trump differs from Clinton, many of those differences began when he began running for president. He suddenly decided, I'm no longer, uh, you know, whatever. I, I no longer believe this. I no longer think that. And and he can do that because he has no voting record. He has no record. Uh, all he has is, is interviews. Um, and so, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, to bring the third party in Gary Johnson, uh, he, he's, you know, a two-term governor. He's got a record. Uh, and you can say whatever he says is a one thing, but here's what he has done consistently. Trump is both um, um, slippery and uh, uh, tantalizing on the same coin because he has no record. He can say he's anything and nobody can really disagree with it because you can find an interview where he said one thing, but you can also find an interview where he said another because he's never he has no record. But that makes him both dangerous and scary. Yeah, and as as much as I love the the concept of the you know citizen government, I really think that the president is probably a little too high for that to be your entry into <laughs> exactly into and not into politics, but into statesmanship or statespersonship. I guess if we want to be politically correct, now you have to you know, and unfortunately in America there has become this huge disconnect between the politics of getting elected and the day-to-day business of running a country. It's almost like we need a tag team for somebody to get elected and then say, tag, you're it. Rather, because what makes a great politician is a vastly different skill set for what makes a great, and again, I'll use a sexist word, statesman. Um, So, I, I I lament and weep for America, um, and I apologize to the rest of the world. Well, actually, I think the rest of the world are the most concerned right now because, I mean, consider that we have a long history of being effectively the world's police force. We've been out there keeping things sort of sane 
in a lot of countries which had a history of not being able to do so on their own. And, you know, look, there's been screw-ups. I get that. Yeah. But at the same time, if you if you look at the entirety of all things, um, you know, Taiwan is not being attacked by China right now because we've got some skin in the game and Japan is kind of stable. And, you know, you could just name every country of the United Nations off and we've got influence of trying to keep stability. And then, you know, they all look to what they see on CNN, well, you know, the world channels and all that sort of thing. And they see these nut jobs going up there in the debate and they're scared to death because we're going to take away their stability by our own lunacy here. So, you know, there's a lot at stake here and, and words matter. They matter a lot. So I, I don't know. I, I'd like somebody to be sane and just to calm things down a little bit, you know, for the sake of the world. Yeah. <laughs> like I say, I, it's just, I, there's just, we, and the sad part is whose fault is it that we let it get this way? It is our fault. You know, nobody came in and stole it from us we gave it away because oh hey what's on in politics i don't know but have you seen this great cat video on facebook <laughs> and uh well, well the american political party system to a lesser extent the american public but definitely the party system has systematically for the last four decades um had a mindset of whatever it takes to win and when you compromise your principles for victory you end up with neither victory nor principles and, well and that's where we are now. We, we are at a point now where the two major political systems uh, in the country have no principles and both of which are scared that they won't have the victory. And so they're going they're going more aggressive and more uh, low ball and, and doing whatever they again, chunking uh, principles overboard as if they are ballasts on a sinking ship in in search of victory. Um, and we will end up with neither. We will have no victory nor principles. Yeah. Yeah. Politics will have a TV show. That's the unfortunate problem. <laughs> all right, let's let's get off of that. Only not because I'm afraid of of touching the third rail, but because we've said all there is to say. I mean, there's just this would be more of us saying the same things. Um, yeah. uh, let's uh, have Here's a, a good moment. transition for you. Here's a good transition for you. Let's hear what our listeners yeah, have to say. That's what I was just going to make sure that I actually had my mixer all queued up for that. Uh, one of our uh, perennial. Uh, contributors, Mr. Door, Door Geek, has something to say to uh, to two and a half of us. Hello, Mark. Hello, Seth. Hello, guy with accent. I can't remember name yet. This is Door. Door. Um, uh, you guys are talking about um, self-generated code, basically. Uh, and guys, who's pretty active in doing this. Uh, his tag handle name is Geo Hots. Uh, George Holtz, I believe is his name. He was the kid who cracked the iPhone. He was the kid who cracked the DVD code. He was the kid that first cracked the PlayStation 2, I think it was. Uh, if you take a look at Kama AI, he's trying to follow that same mentality of not over-instructing, not true or false, not if, else, then type of coding for automated vehicles. Uh, he's supposed to be releasing a unit early quarter 2017, a thousand bucks you put it in your car, and you can help teach the ecosystem how to drive. Uh, I definitely encourage you guys to check out his YouTube videos. 
just search for either comma AI or geo hot, and you'll see a whole bunch of stuff. Really smart guy, uh, has the power to change the future and how we do things, and he's not writing all the code. Interesting stuff. Keep up great work. Just keep ranting. And uh, guy with unusual accent, I'll remember your name soon, I swear. <laughs> so, Dort, just to... Uh um, cement it in your memory one more time. That is Miles Wakeham, and that is a combination of Australian and Arizona accent that you're hearing. How long have you been in, in the U.S., Miles? A long time. 20 years. Yeah. So you've lost some, some of the edge of the Aussie, but it's definitely very much there. So the, the guy that uh, Dora was talking about, George Hotz, H-O-T-Z, it's, it's hard to tell over the, the uh, cell phone conversation there, uh, George Francis Hotz uh, Jr., um, and is – you know, a, a well-known hacker um, and also a well-known unibrow uh, who is uh, working on uh, some interesting AI stuff. And I really, you know, as we touched on last week, I think that uh, self-writing code is the future because at some point we it's, we just move beyond the point at which humans can keep up. Um, and I like, I, I will check into this. Geohot is his uh, Twitter handle. So there you go. From cool. Carnegie Mellon University, apparently. Geohot.com is his website. Okay. Uh, and that's all there is to that. We don't have any other um, listener feedback at this point. We did have some stuff. Um, and if you sent me some things, for example, about the, the, the space and the moon landing, I promised that we would do a show about all of it. And uh, all, just a show about that feedback and then i forgot uh so it's still in my in basket uh don't worry about it i'll get to it eventually uh gmail keeps it all and reminds me of it periodically that here's a thing you said you would do and then you didn't (laughs) um but i wanted to start off our tech news section uh this is not super new but it is something that we haven't talked about on this show and and the question is does the world need another 700 dollars phone that just happens to be made by google um, so the Google um, Pixel phone, uh, it was announced, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago. And it's a premium, you know, phone with a super mega magical camera and aluminum anodyne body with glass made by fairy dusts. Um, basically, Johnny Ives, uh, uh, working for Google, uh, created this phone and i just i don't get it i mean google has been the um the low cost leader for a long time in phones and now suddenly they've decided they want to to go high cost and uh i mean they're taking a play pay, page out of apple's playbook right and i guess the reason is that if any if apple knows how to do anything it's how to make money and Google really hasn't quite figured that out. They they've got ads and they're making tons of money on ads, but they recognize that the the ad industry is going away. So they're trying to charge a whole lot of money for a phone that's only a little bit better spec wise than other things on the market. What you guys have any thoughts on this? Well, I, it's it's not in either expensive or cheap. It's a both. You know, from the from the standpoint of why would you abandon any market segment to your competition? The competition has a high-end segment. You should have a high-end segment to match them because, you know, people compare their 
super expensive Android or iPhone 6S Plus with extra fairy dust to my little $100 Android chocolate. Well, see, iPhones are better. No, the iPhone is more expensive. <laughs> so if I wanted to, I can say, see, here's my $700 Android to match your $700 iPhone. I can hit you spec for spec. There's really no difference in the technology. So I think it's not abandoning the cheap market, but it's you are you can't abandon a market segment to your rival. Yeah, but but Google has only sold relatively inexpensive phones to this point. They haven't right. they have, you know, obviously Android is on lots of cheap phones and lots of expensive phones. Uh but the Google themselves have only sold uh you know developer editions. And the idea is to make the cost, you know, just above break even so the developers can get it in their hands and start making uh, developers and uh, developing uh, hardware or software and that sort of stuff. So they, they're abandoning that because there's not a developer model anymore. I mean, the cheapest version of this is $649. Um, the, then it goes up from there to about $750 or so, uh, or $31 a month with their 24-month Google Store financing. So they are abandoning the concept of the low-cost developer phone and saying, developers, you just got to go spend $700 on a phone. Tough noogies on you. Miles, what are your thoughts on that? Um, there was, I mean, I've been following this for a long time because I was in the market for a phone all this year, um, waiting to see what the next Nexus device was going to be. And, you know, following all of the scuttlebutt and the rumor mill about who was going to make it, whether it was HTC or um, it was Hawaii or whatever you, however you pronounce it, that Chinese company, um, and not really knowing what was going on and, and, you know, bit by bit, week by week, my phone is getting slower and more prone to problems. And and eventually, I just said, you know, I'm just going to go with the HTC 10, which was the predecessor to the Pixel. Um, I paid 750 for it, and I thought that's what the iPhones cost. So, it's a market price. Uh, if you... I, I've been watching a lot of those YouTube videos where people are ranting about the $700 phone, how they don't like it and everything. I get that, but the same people are buying iPhones. So I don't, it's sort of a, a bit of hypocrisy in some ways. If you want a high end phone, you pay a high end price. I, the I, one would, thing- I would take argue, uh, issue with that statement. I think the vast majority of iPhone owners did not buy their iPhone, they are leasing it from the, the carrier. Yes, actually, no, you were right. I, I should have pointed out also that the day that the pixel was released or maybe a day or so later i started getting emails from verizon because they happened to be my carrier of how they can bundle you know come in and buy a google pixel phone at, and you know sign up for a two-year contract and i thought to myself well maybe the reason why they priced it was that they had this deal where they wanted to become you know closer related to the carriers in order to be able to sell more phones because Google doesn't have the retail uh, prowess to get out there into the market that, you know, AT&T and Verizon and Sprint and so on have. Which is, again, and, a reversal of their position. They came in yeah. saying, we want to be the unphone. We want to do away with carriers. But And agreed. Uh, maybe by their contract that they have with HTC, they were kind of forced into having to front up to the uh, you know the particular objection that HTC might have and that is you don't have enough retail frontage and so they catered for that by saying well I tell you what we'll let you sell a really expensive phone to us 
and we'll team up with Verizon and we'll get a retail frontage and now we'll push out a lot of phones, makes the manufacturer happy. Google, well, they're not develop it's not a developer phone. This is a regular retail phone and they want to take advantage of their back end AI and they want to put all the special bells and whistles in this phone that may not be in the in the cheaper phones out there. Um, yeah, I, I understand where they're coming from, but what I don't get and I'm kind of really happy that I didn't wait this long that I actually did buy the HTC 10 is there's no micro SD cards in this phone and the one thing that is really important to me is to have a lot of storage in the phone because I typically put a lot of video on there while I'm traveling um, and if I if I have a limited amount of storage space to do that that doesn't work for me so I'm really happy I went with what I what I did I don't think I I bought a phone that was any lesser from what Google are offering. And and about let's talk about that, the storage space. So you can get the 128 gig uh, phone, which is, you know, a fair amount of storage by any standard. I, I have the 32 gig Moto X and uh, rarely do I run into storage problems, but I'm not a big high def video hog. Uh, and when I do take lots of pictures and stuff, I'm generally in such an area where I can upload them and offload them. But as cheap as storage is, why would you charge me $100 more for 128 gigs of storage? Uh, the only answer could the only answer can be because I can't. If you're going to sell a phone without an SD card, that thing should have 500 gigs of storage in it. Um for the 100 cuz I mean how much if you went and bought an SD uh hard drive right now, a 500 gig hard drive is going to cost you what about $75 $80. So <laughs> for the cost of 500 gig SD drive um, you're getting 100 gigs SD storage in a phone. Uh, and I just, uh, I, the only thing I can come up with is because we can. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I paid 90 bucks for a 256 gig micro SD card to put into my HTC. And that was the fastest one I could get based on recommendations from other people on the internet. And it's great. 90 bucks. That was it. Why couldn't they at least give me a slot to do the same or at least charge, as you say, charge 90 bucks more for 256 gig. Right. Well, and you're buying a one-off. They're buying millions off, so they can right. definitely get that cost down. But they want you hooked to the Google Cloud, so later you won't jump ship to Apple. Okay, Apple wants you hooked I'm sorry, to let me, the let me, Apple Cloud. Okay. Let me interrupt you. Who's the they? Is it Google who wants that, or is it Verizon who wants that so they can stick you for charges? This is, but they're both. Google wants you married to their ecosystem. So you stay in their ecosystem and Verizon wants you married to them so they can hit you. It's, this is a place where the corporate objectives of both companies merge together to result in a tsunami of screwing for the customer. Yeah, that's oh, right. They give, you, might, they give you free that phrase. Tsunami they, they give you free storage, right, with the phone. You get lifetime free Google Drive storage if you buy one of their phones. Right. It's uh, of what they call high quality. It's not it's not the full image. It's their like 5 megapixel uh, version of it, which is fine for almost everything I ever do. Um, but not, you know, it's there's no substitute for having actual storage. Um, and I just, it's, there's so many things I don't understand and maybe it's, maybe it's, I'm a, you know, a, a fogey and maybe it's just because I'm too dumb to understand, but, uh, I, I don't get how this is sound business. Um, it seems to me like a short-term game, long-term loss situation. 
Well, and unfortunately, you just described the American business culture. Short-term gain, long-term loss. That's the American... I mean, why do companies you know, pillage their infrastructure to buy back stock. Well, it keeps their stock prices high. So when the executives uh, exercise their huge bonuses, they rake in the money. So they're instead of investing in their infrastructure to keep their company current and moving forward, they're pulling money out in a way to skirt and make it look good. And they're just hiding what they do. They don't care about the long-term things because the stockholders, the directors, the the contracts only care about what's this quarter's profit and what's the easiest way to get this quarter's profit. Don't invest in tomorrow's quarter's profit. And it's not good long-term business sense, but it is for the vast majority of companies based on available information. It's the prevailing model currently in use in the American system. And and while you're on that line of thought, I want to, uh, this is coming straight from store.google.com at the bottom of the page. Uh, it talks about the Google store financing. So it's a credit card count, basically one of those crap visa cards by Synchrony Bank. Uh, it's 0% for 24 months. But as anybody who's ever done one of those knows, if you're late on a payment uh, or miss a payment or go, you know, 24 months and one uh, day past, you get charged the full rate retroactive to day one and the apr on this thing 29.99 percent 30 percent interest rate whatever happened to don't be evil this is evil yeah they don't say don't be evil anymore what happened is it went by the wayside whenever they started getting their stock options as part of their salary so they basically they compromised principle so they could win pretty much I just hope they don't go any further with that because they're a very dangerous company to lose principle. We have all got way too much invested in Google. I mean, you think about it. Every single thing that we do is based on Google without us realizing it. We don't even remember things anymore. We just go to the Google search engine. We don't, you know, we our email, our photos, our everything. It's scary. Well, even this show. I mean, you know, yeah. Google Hangout, Google Docs, so YouTube. Um, it's not fair to say we couldn't do this show without Google, but it would be much more difficult and much more expensive. It would be. Uh, and, and, you know, that's the that's what's going to happen. The, the, Google has, has wormed their way into our lives, and I'm, I'm, I'm pro-Google. You know, I always say that I've been mainlining the Kool-Aid for 10 years now. Um, I, I welcome our, our, our Google overlords, but... Um, I'm really concerned at some of the turns that they're taking here. This is not the Google that I grew up with. And, and I guess every company has to, to go through that at some point. Um, you know, Ford and, and any uh, HP, any company that's been around for a long time, IBM, they're, they're going to go through multiple iterations. Uh, and Google started as a search company and then became an ad company. And now they're a we're not sure what they are company. They're not sure what they are company. But they're definitely much more focused on profits than productivity these days which i mean they went from being this cool they didn't even start off as a company they started off as an idea to build hey let's build a better search engine and then oh my gosh we can't do this full time unless we make some money so let's turn our idea into a business concept well hey it's a startup i'm not used to having lots of money i'm just doing this for fun and then all of a sudden hey that ceo has a plane i want a plane that ceo bought an island i want to buy two islands because more people use google than anything else and wait a minute i can't do that 
that. Look at all the money I'm leaving on the table by not doing everything all these other companies are doing. If all the other companies are doing it, it must not be bad. Let me do it too. That you, I've just described the evolution of 98% of businesses in the history of our country. I wish I could argue with you, Seth. I really want to, to take up the mantle yeah. and fight you on that, but I can't. Yeah. I used to be an idealist. <laughs> And then I grew up. <laughs> oh man! So uh, you know, depressing pr- predictions that nobody's going to hold you to. Is this going to work, Miles? Um, I don't think so. I mean, they have a long history of not succeeding with these sort of phones um, in a, in a retail market space. You know, okay, within the Google aficionados and the techie geeks we like our nexus and yeah they got a good reputation within that but if outside of it would my mum buy a google pixel i don't know i don't know would you know it, it's not it would is it the cool kids phone i don't know they're still buying iphones um yeah they're trying to be I, the hipster phone yeah if google succeeds it's because apple failed that would be my summary of this because Apple have done really, really bad things when it comes to phone in the last three years. And the main, well, okay, no, let me rephrase that. They haven't done bad things. They've done no things. The problem is they haven't innovated to the level that they have had a history since 2007 of going and doing quantum leaps forward. And they've not done any of that. Now, whether or not they can, whether they've got something in the hopper we don't know about, uh, but, you know, I hate to say it because I know it's been speculated all over the place, but since the passing of Steve Jobs, Apple haven't done squat. And somebody's got to call them on that. And I think that because of that, Google sees an opportunity to come out with a like-priced phone in the high-end segment sold in a similar way to the iPhone. And they're banking on iPhone failing and Google's going to be there to pick up the pieces. Uh, this there's shades of BlackBerry here, the 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 having the the market dominance, the iterations instead of innovations, uh, the uh, resting on your laurels, definitely shades of of the mighty falling. So Seth, same question to you: Is this going to work? Okay, I think it is going to work because for it to work, it doesn't have to be a home run product. It just has to be a single get on base. And so I think it will work for that. Again, this isn't about we want to dominate the market segment. This is about we can't let them have the exclusive run of the high-end snobs who like to throw money away for no reason segment. And so because of that, yes, it will work. And I just want to comment on, again, this really feels like totally ripping Apple off. The colors, very silver. Quite black and really blue. That's the colors on their website. I'm looking at them right now. But they're sold out. You can't get the 5.5 inch anymore. They don't, they don't exist. And in the in the five inch, the 128 gig is sold out. So of course they don't say how many they sold out, and right. if that's temporary or until we're not selling anymore until this batch sells out. So that could easily be marketing. You know, right. the sellout is the, the, the most overused marketing gimmick in the world, but it's very effective um, it to the snobs. So, all right. Anything else on this one? Uh, this is just, uh, 
disturbing and uh, but most mostly just disappointing to me. A company I love um, following the trends of a company I don't love. Uh, this bothers me. Watch out for the Google Store opening near you. Mm, yeah, with the uh, with the Google Brainiacs. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to another company that uh, is just how the mighty have fallen. Yahoo, stop sucking, please. Man, I, you know, okay, I'm a proud, my email address is like almost when I got it, but I've had my account for like 14 years. Um, and the whole, of course, little history, the whole reason I got it, I was in a two-week training class that you had to go to before you could start working at this job. And the guy next to me was playing dominoes on Yahoo Games. And I went, hey, how are you doing that? He's like, well, you, and so I was like, okay, so I created an email address just so I could play dominoes. Um, but anyway, they used to be a really awesome company, but then they just started sucking. And so what they're doing now is they're making it harder. Uh, the title of this headline from tech news world is Yahoo makes it harder for email users to jump ship. They've turned off the auto forwarding and made it so you can't delete the webmail stuff now. And of course they're saying it's temporary because of maintenance. I think it personally has something to do with the huge data breach that happened or happened years ago. And they just recently announced, but so what it is is if you set up like your Yahoo email address to forward to your Google, if you hadn't enabled forwarding before, it won't let you enable it now. And um, it's just like, it, it's almost like, you know, somebody pulled the plug and there used to be a lot of water in the tub. And, you know, if you've ever drained water from a full bathtub, you pull the plug, nothing happens for a while. The water goes down very slowly. And then all of a sudden over the plug, it starts twirling. And so to me, the water level has dropped and now you're starting to see the twirling. So I don't know what I'm going to do because so much of what I do, I use my Yahoo email address for. And um, if the deal goes through with Verizon and all of a sudden I become a Verizon customer, what kind of adware crap are they going to bombard me with? And uh, where else can I go? Uh, man. They Time just... to set up SethAnderson.com. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just like, please, Yahoo, stop sucking and go back to being the great company you used to be. They don't know how to be. They they don't know how they became great in the first place. That was an accident. And they don't know how to recapture that because it was an accident. Well, yeah, and everybody who made it an accident, everybody who made it has left. You know, they went to work for Google when Google right. was the number one thing. And so it's, there's only like seven or maybe there might be 50 people in Silicon Valley who are really breathtakingly genius and they just make their rounds going from new company to new company. And so that's how come Google used to be awesome, but they lost so many of their good people and now they've turned, they've turned sucky to try to stay big. You know, Apple, when Steve Jobs died, they went, Steve's not here. Let's move on to Facebook. And then somebody else said, Hey, we'll give you 14 billion dollars to start this company so they move on there so alas yahoo i knew thee well yahoo began as a user created directory of websites uh yep. and and you didn't mm -hmm. there, there was no crawler there was no engine you went and you listed your website within in the directory and in a sort of a wikipedia-esque sort of way other people could recategorize something if you put it in the wrong place it was an open database uh and things could be moved around um, and they were uh, powerful because they were first to market. Other people weren't doing that yet. So GeoCities was out there, and and uh, you know the old BBS CompuServe, that sort of stuff was out there. But 
uh, Yahoo was, if not the first, the first popular user uh, created data store of of websites. And then they, you know, the web, the advent of the web crawler, uh, Yahoo came into that later. Um, but that was never their real forte. Their forte came in the, the mid to late nineties when they became a content company The the, I still think they have one of the best fantasy football, uh, softwares, uh, out there for a long time. It was better than ESPN or NFL. Um, and they had, you know, my, the, the Yahoo 360 was a direct competitor to MySpace when MySpace was the thing. Um, uh, and so they had these, it was a place to, to get content. Yahoo news, uh, was really, I mean, a significant source of news for a large portion of the, of the planet. And they, these things happened, I believe, accidentally. They were just trying things to see what stick. Some of them stuck, but they never knew what they were doing. They just kept trying things. And inexplicably, they kept killing off the things that worked. Um, and email was their, you know, their big thing. In a world where everybody needed an email address but didn't know where to get one, uh, the Yahoo email address was one of the first things the, that the world saw. Lots of people who are, you know, um, longtime geeks like us have a Yahoo address or, or more than one Yahoo address. Right. Um, and in my particular case, Yahoo was my, was my go-to for a long time. Uh, but they started limiting something. I forget what it was. Uh, maybe you started charging for it. There was something that they started doing um like, like they're i think they started charging for the pop service is what it was uh and they went fully web only and i said well i don't i don't want to do that uh, pop by the way <laughs> back in the old days you didn't go to a website to get your mail you used it loaded a client on your local web's uh, workstation and it went and fetched the mail for you using the post office protocol whippersnappers um and then the webmail av- advent was actually an improvement over that using primarily imap which had a lot of problems that that pop didn't deal with so i jumped ship to yahoo and and used a service called bigfoot and bigfoot was nothing more than a redirector so it was my address was mark.cockrell at bigfoot.com which redirected to my yahoo that's it that's all it did well then bigfoot said we're going to start tw- starting 25 dollars a year for this and I thought, well, that's pretty stupid when I can register a domain with, with GoDaddy.com for $10 a year um, and set up my own redirector. So uh, that's what I did. And and Rick in the chat room says he still has his Bigfoot address. I probably do, too. It's probably still out there, but it's probably redirecting somewhere. Um, you know, once they started charging for it, that was the end of that uh, for me. So I set up Mark at thecockerels.net, and that's been my address now for 16 17 18 years long time now um and yeah it cost me i have to pay the domain registration every year but the email forwarding is free i just forward that straight to gmail or actually i stopped doing that a long time ago and got a google apps for domains which they're rapidly abusing domains customers left and right uh but anyway my point in all of that is twofold one yahoo success was an accident and they're just trying to recapture the lightning in a bottle the second time and two seth get your own domain Step into 1996. Yeah, I had my own domain, and um, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't want to. Anyway, I just, I let it fall because I still, you know, there's so much stuff out there that I, I don't know. I just the thing when Yahoo really started. I used to my my homepage was myyahoo.com, and I had yeah. the RSS feeds I liked on there, and that went. That went to poop in a handbasket whenever <laughs> I went to um, 
I you could list movie theaters that you liked, and it would show you the show times and all and the movies that were there. And all of a sudden, I went there one day, and it was like search for your movie. And so you typed in the name of a movie, and then it would show you. You can only do one movie at a time instead of doing whole theaters. And I just went. So now Yahoo. I mean, I still have my email, but I don't do much with it anymore except email. They, they just, it seems like every time something works, they like, okay, hey, we proved that works. What next can we kill? So it's funny how uh, email has become the primary focus of Yahoo, though, considering all of the other things that they were doing, that and search stuck. They were the only two things that really stuck as being primary business core, you know, elements of Yahoo. The problem they, is, or go ahead. No, I was going to say the problem is that. When they got breached and it took them two years before they let anybody know that they'd been breached at the level they had been, then all of a sudden all faith in Yahoo Mail disappeared and now all you've got left is a search engine which is clearly not a Google. And and then, my understanding was reading the business news last week that Verizon had pretty much opted out of the whole thing. They were basically saying, look, we'll give you half what we were offering because we think that since you, you know, since you're breached, you're not secured, there's too much bad press, there's too much bad PR in this deal, and you're not worth what the money you used to think you were worth. And Google and them are now kind of at odds, and I'm not really sure that deal's ever going to go through. But I'll tell you one thing. If you're a hacker and you want to own someone's live, own their email. You can You can grab their credit card, they'll get another one. You can grab their social security number, yeah, okay, great, big deal. You know, that, that, that's not going to stop them. But you want to own everything about that person. You want to know how they think, who they communicate with, what they say in private, everything. Own their email address. So email security, in my mind, is the number one thing you don't want to have a, a breach in. And yet Yahoo don't seem to give the same level of priority that maybe I do on that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and you know, and you talked about their search; they don't even develop search anymore. It's uh, it's it's run by powered by Bing. So, oh, okay. Or at least it was. They signed a deal a few right. years ago, and um, at one point, Melissa is it Mayer? Mayer, how you pronounce her last name? She <laughs> Meyer. Tr- Meyer. She tried talked about opting out of it or trying to get out of it somehow because they realized they're like, Oh, wait a minute. We don't even do this anymore, but yeah, we need to. And so, but yeah, I used to, I used to love Yahoo search and now it, it, it wasn't so much. I mean, I, I checked out Google, but it's just like Yahoo search deteriorated. And so why go there anymore? Yeah. And you know, to, to circle back to what we were talking about with, with Google, um, and their search, uh, Search is such a part of our lives, we don't even know what things are search. A lot of things we do is search that we don't realize is search. Um, you know, it's it's way more than just going to Google or saying to your phone, okay, Google, uh, you know, where's the nearest bus stop? Uh, but when you're, you know, looking for an email, that's search. Google does that better than anyone else. <laughs> Anybody who's ever tried to search a, a, a large Microsoft Outlook account can tell you not everybody does it as well as Google. Um, <laughs> yep. You know, just finding uh, documents in, you know, uh, Dropbox. You got a bunch of documents there. You're not sure where it is. That's search. Google does that better than anybody else. And search is such a part of our lives as more and more data is generated. We're we're every day generating more data 
than we used to generate in a decade. And without search, there's no way to get to that data. There's no way to even know it's there. There's no way to surface anything. So search has become the cornerstone of our lives. And as you just alluded to, Miles, Bing doesn't do it well. Yahoo doesn't do it well. Um, And it's almost a too big to fail situation. We need high quality search algorithms in this uh, data uh, flood that the the society is living in. And right now, Google owns the reins of high quality search. And it's proprietary and it's hidden. And uh, clearly nobody else has been as good uh, about finding a way to do it. That's a little scary to me. Not a lot, but a little. Yeah, it's very scary. <laughs> I, I don't remember things anymore. I just go to Google. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I take notes on the Google Keep app. <laughs> it's still Google. <laughs> right. All right, let's move on to another company that most of us fear and hate, Apple. Um, Apple has decided that uh, the app developer Dash needs to go, and they kind of gave a reason for it, maybe. Well, yeah, they, they um, at first they didn't. They just like, all of a sudden he was like, hey, your app, which is like one of the best in the app store for this thing, uh, yeah, we've, we're blocking it and banned your account. Then they came up with this story where um, they said it had to do with manipulating rankings and all of this kind of stuff. Um, and they, they unleashed their blogger army on him. But unfortunately for them, he recorded his conversations with them and dumped them out there for people to see. And he has conclusively proved that the story that Apple put out there about, you know, how he was uncooperative and all of that was an outright lie um, as, as far as how he was. And, you know, we've talked before about how if you use, you know, Facebook has your business model, has the basis of your business, or if the app stores, you know, um, how you're really at the mercy of that, you know, thing. So, you know, this could be something as simple as Apple is going to be rolling out in the near future, something very similar to what he does. And they're just killing the competition. So who knows, but, or it could just be some intern made a mistake and they're choosing to back the intern because that's the face of the company. You know, at this point we'll never know the truth. We just know the story that Apple put out turned out to contain some things that were just kind of missed the truth a little bit. And, um, yeah. So I don't know. And again, you know, it's like in the old days with windows, you could have a program and Microsoft really didn't have any say if it was an executable, you could install it. You know, if third parties viruses, things caught it, that was one thing, but you know, has it moved to the, to the app store model, whether that be the, um, you know, a Linux app store, the Apple app store, Google play, whatever you become at the mercy of that company to allow you to play in the ecosystem. So it's just, it's a scary thing. And everybody wants to move to that model that, that, uh, walled garden, uh, grocery store aisle model where you come to us to get your stuff. Uh, and, and there are lots of reasons for it. A lot of them are bogus. I think, you know, Google stands by, um, the security. They say that you, if you go to our store, everything's secure, uh, secure Apple, uh, doesn't really tout security much, but touts quality. If you come to our store, everything's quality. We have the best fart apps, uh, anywhere. Um, and I don't think that either of those are the real reason. I think the real reason is to just keep people coming back to you so that you can control access. 
but interestingly enough, to go back to my point earlier, if we go back to the way things used to be, everybody has their own stuff on their own websites and you go to them to get it, now search becomes even more important. So either way, you're depending on some other service. Yeah. And well, you know, and what the really they want a piece of the pie. You know, if back in like say Windows XP, you know, uh whatever, I could develop a product, you know, how to make fart apps and I could have a website, how to make fartapps.com, and this is an executable program you download on your computer, Microsoft gets nothing out of that. But if it's done in the silo mentality, you know, if I want to produce a f- an app for the iPhone, well, Apple gets a cut of my sales. So not in addition to controlling the hardware, now they get a cut of any of my software. And so the only people who make money out of that is the, um, is the app store gatekeeper. Um, so, you know, fun times, yay democracy, but this is a democracy. It's a dictatorship. Yeah, but this is Apple's primary business model. It has been for decades. And that is you simplify things down so that anybody's grandmother can use it. And that is your value add. Your value add is to take complexity in technology and throw it out the window and end up with something which is so simple that anybody can use it. And you put really nice little slick looking presentation and box and, and how the thing's packaged. And you've got yourself a leading business, and that's the largest company in the world. And that's what their entire model is. So if you produce anything that doesn't fit that model, expect to have it thrown out the window. And now a question for you. When you say Dash, is that the application for Dash, the digital currency? No, no. Or this is, is no? That's okay. his developer handle is called oh, Dash. Okay. And okay. I I don't remember what his thing was. I would have to look r- the other story um, that was on here um, about what it was he he did. But it, it had something to do with um, oh it, it um I don't remember I don't remember doesn't matter yeah listener you can Google it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah search for true. it good luck. But, that, so, but, but this is the thing, though. If, if Apple says we want to control all content because we don't want bad guys' content getting in there and infecting our phone because we're looking after grandma here and that's their model, then you know that there's some horrible, you know, uh, regulatory dude who may as well be in some uniform sitting there looking over everything that comes in and go like that, don't like that, like that, don't like that kicking out anything that might be a competitive threat, a considered a risk, or it just doesn't suit that person's frame of mind that day. And I guess this guy got caught up in the in the process. Yeah, well and but the thing was the original thing, he um he was cancelled without any prior notice. He just all of a sudden, hey, I can't get into my developer account. Oh wait, I don't have a developer account. And then after contacting Apple Oh yeah, your developer got account got removed because of app store manipulation. Thanks for reaching out to us. Bye. Um, and then he had to follow up with that to figure out what had happened. And um, so, and then like I say, what Apple compounded the um, the story by not only lying about it, but um, focusing 
their you know the loyal apple trolls um you know basically they fed a story to them and trolls being what trolls are you know they destroyed this guy and you know the saying that a lie is halfway around the world before the truth gets out of bed and puts its shoes on so he comes back with the truth and said oh they said this here's the recording of the actual conversation that proves they didn't say that and you know and of course at this point it becomes apple is going to stick by the apple brand and and you know the only way uh to prevent this sort of stuff is seth you mentioned earlier is is don't hit your wagon to one of these big horses right you 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 can't build your business on facebook and then complain when facebook makes changes you can't build your business on android and and complain when android makes changes and that's exactly what the cyanogen mod people are doing they're jumping off the uh the android ship they they, it was originally called cyanogen mod right it was a mod of android now it's the cyanogen os they're they're going to go completely modular take pieces of android where appropriate and dump android where not appropriate because they're tired of having their dog wagged by the tail yeah and you know i look at um cyanogen has if you compare cyanogen to Android, it's a lot like if you compare Linux Mint to Ubuntu. When Mint first came out, it was basically Ubuntu tweaked. And then whenever people, hey, people like the way we do things, then they started making changes that really differentiated them kind of under the hood a little bit from Ubuntu. You can still see the Ubuntu origins of it, but it's become a different distro in and of itself. Um, it might be based on that and that, you know, and heritage and stuff. And so cyanogen is going the same way. Um, if in, they were pretty much rebranded Android. Well, the problem with that is what happens when Google says, Hey, we're going to make Android do this now. And then all of a sudden, because you're rebranded Android, you have no choice, but your next update has to do that as well. And so by taking this modular approach, they're able to take the parts of Android they like. And one of the things is they're, I guess they're kind of hedging their bets. You know, one of the thoughts is the fear that if Google merges Android and Chrome, you know, what would happen to a company like Cyanogen? And so they're just, they're putting, they're differentiating themselves in the marketplace. Um, you know, I mean, choice is a good thing. Will it be enough for, uh, to justify the business? Um, I don't know, but anyway, it just, I thought it would be newsworthy and get some comments. It's a gutsy move, isn't it? I mean, I'd be worried like crazy of doing that because the first thing that comes to mind is Oracle go after him because I mean, Oracle's longstanding, attack on Google over the Java APIs and the Java VMs, uh, that stuff still hasn't been completely settled. I mean, they keep coming back from the dead trying to raise that corpse of a lawsuit over and over again. Well, CyanogenMod, they've got no lawyer army to be able to fight that off. If Oracle says, well, maybe we just want to take it away from you, they can. I mean, there's no one there that's going to be able to fight Oracle. They're too big. Yeah, but that's true. So I don't. Well, they're make- too big today. Give give it a few months. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> you never know what's what's going to happen. Um, all right. Moving on to a little bit of good news. At least one circuit judge, um, in the court of appeals says we don't need software patents. Copyright is good enough. Um, this guy doesn't necessarily have all power to do everything, but in a legal system where uh, precedent is everything, 
this is pretty important precedent. Yeah, I thought so. Um, you know, we talked before about this case that really kind of took a lot of the teeth out of the patent trolls because, um, and anyway, it's just more of the same. So, and now that that, that case has been around for a while, people are looking into it and using it as precedent and going, maybe there shouldn't be so many software patents. And most of these patents are something that are really kind of impatentable and that copyright would be sufficient. And so, I think this is a good thing that, you know, maybe not the end of software patents, but pull it, you know, pulling the reins back in into something that is reasonably patentable. Um, so I, I think it's a good deal. I would love to see anything that helps reform patent abuse. I'm all for. So this ruling looks good. You know, it may be a decade late coming, but better late than never. Mm. Is this an extension of the Alice case? I mean, this is a new one, right? It, it's based on the, he's basing it on the Alice case. So it's, oh, okay. it's using the Alice case for precedent in his ruling. Right. Of course, I know everything about the Alice case, but just in case our listeners might not know, what is the Alice case? Uh, well, it was a company, I think actually an Australian company took, Oh, man, I, I really need to research this to give you the exact answer. I'll give you the really thousand view that I know it. Um, they had a case on a software patent back in 2014, I think, or at least the case was adjudicated then, um, that basically said even though patents may be granted to software, if they're based around doing something that was – there's a whole bunch of precedents, like uh, if it has financial significance – or if it's something that could be done in process outside of software, it's not patentable, or at least the patent couldn't stand up. And the second that this case uh, was adjudicated, everybody's lawsuits that were based on software patents kind of just fell like a, a big Jenga pile. I mean, it just all destroyed them. And then all of a sudden, all the lawyers basically said, well, the chance of winning based on this precedence is so low, we're all just going to, you know, get out of it. We're just going to dismiss the cases and and software patents kind of went back. In the lingering in the distance, though, or lingering in the background was the reason why they were able to successfully get a case to court in the first place was that people had taken patents out for software. And the judges basically looking at it saying, well, software is just an electronic version of a process which could be done in other forms. We're not really sure whether that's something that we can, as a court, that we have the ability to be able to adjudicate on. So, eh, we're not going to do it. And that was basically the position that's been hanging around for the last 12, 20, 24 months. Um, the problem is it doesn't get rid of the patent trolls. It only gets rid of the uh, an ability for somebody to say they have a patent on it a software process that would restrict another company from wanting to do something that might be considered competitive in some way. Um, so, yeah, we don't need software patents. Absolutely, we do not. If we do and we get them successfully uh, implemented, somebody is going to patent TCP IP and then we're all out of business. Um, that, that's not right. And just to give you some background on on this uh, this particular judge, he he is a, a, a court of the federal circuit. The you the the United States is divided into, I believe, twelve circuits, uh, geographical regions. Like the Ninth Circuit, for example, is most of the West Coast, uh, and then the Fifth Circuit is 
uh, you know, in East Texas where, where all sorts of bad things happen patent wise, the, uh, the federal circuit is also the 13th circuit. By the way, I didn't know any of this. I've been Wikipediaing while uh, Miles was talking, lest you think I am some sort of <laughs> brainiac. That's um, twice I've used that copyrighted term. Um, and the federal circuit is unique in that it is not geographic, but subject matter. So certain subjects go to the, the 13th uh, circuit, the federal circuit, one of which is patents. So basically, the ruling authority over patents, one of the court, one of the justices of the single federal ruling authority over patents has said, we don't need software patents. This is no small thing. Um, and I think like Seth, I think you, you put it accurately. It's 10 years too late. Uh, the concept of a, a patent, uh, of an idea you can't patent ideas. That's what copyrights are for. Copyright. That is the definition of, uh, of a copyright. Your, your, it is a protection of an idea. Patents are protections of physical inventions. And the concept of a software patent is uh, an oxymoron. You cannot patent an idea. And the fact that software has been patented, the idea of, you know, a, 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 a bubble sort could be patented is ridiculous. That's an idea. You can copyright that. And that's a whole different set of protections. Um, and so finally, a federal judge with some real clout and some actual ability to make change has come out and made a ruling that says um, you can't or you shouldn't need to. He didn't say you you can't. He said you shouldn't need to patent an idea. That's what copyright is for. That's a really, really big deal. Uh, and if that can become the law of the land, again, judges don't make laws. Judges um, support and or strike down laws. And if this ruling is continually used to strike down laws and therefore becomes the the judicator of law, judicial court in the u.s the rest of the world will follow suit that has been true for decades um and while the u.s in many ways may be losing their prominence on the world stage for now what happens in u.s courts follows the rest of the world not because we are mighty but because we have money and people want to do business with us and if that's the way our laws do and people want to do business they have to follow our laws so this is a really really big deal um and of course it's got to go it could be challenged higher. It could go all the way up to the Supreme Court. Uh, could a should a case, and that's the way laws are in the U.S. They they don't really become uh, the true law of the land until they have been adjudicated. So you can anybody could pass any law. Any local authority can pass a law. That law can then be appealed to a various uh, various judicial branches until it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court, and then the Supreme Court says. This is the law of the land. This thing can't be, it's ruled unconstitutional. You can't pass this law. Um, you know, recently the whole uh, gay marriage thing, it's, it's been misreported that the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage. No, the Supreme Court said uh, laws, uh, federal laws against gay marriage do not support uh, the Constitution or, or cannot be supported by the Constitution. That's the, that's the real juck. Uh, 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 juice the meat of what the supreme court does they say does the constitution support this law yes or no and then it goes back to the legal system to go from there so this is not at the supreme court level but pretty darn close pretty pretty high up there saying that the constitution as we understand it does not support laws regarding software patents long little dissertation there to give you a summary that says this is a really big deal 
Yeah, it's not going to stop people wanting to get a patent for some software idea. It's just going to mean trying to enforce it will be next to impossible. So at that point, they'll look at saying, well, if I have to get a patent, that means I've got to publish all of the ins and outs of what my thing is that I'm getting a patent for, and that's in the public space, in the public domain. At that point, if it's unenforceable, I don't want to give away my secret source, so I'm not going to get a patent. So it, you're right, it has this massive effect going forward, and it also means if you've already got a patent, well, good luck trying to you know enforce it because no court's going to want to want to look at you. So yeah, this is this is good for everyone. Maybe this is the the rise again of open source because open source was always the you know redheaded stepchild in the in the whole thing because they could never afford to get lawyers to to protect them. Uh, if this is a no longer an issue, maybe we see a resurgence of open source software again. Yay! <laughs> so I'm excited about that, and I wanna I wanna in a show full of negativity, I wanna end there. This is positive. This is uh, this is a step in the right direction. This is the American judicial system serving its purpose and and finding uh, the right answer to uh, a problem. And <laughs> that is becoming more and more rare. So yay! Um, oh gosh, I, uh, Halden Robert Mayer, um, good for you for um, having some common sense. That everything you said in your ruling, I've been perusing it as as this conversation goes on. There is just plain old granny sense, but that's so rare that we have to applaud you for it. Good for you for having common sense in a world of morons. Let's nominate him for the Supreme Court. <laughs> okay, I'm not even going to go there. Uh, like I said, <laughs> I wanted to stay positive. Uh, so, Seth, tell us what happened this week in history. Okay, this is, if you're our age, this is a big deal. Um, October the 14th, 1977, Atari releases their video computer system. You might know it has the Atari 2600. Um, I mean, come on, you had Pac-Man, you had, um, battle, you know, you had the tank things, um, asteroids. Oh man. I love Pong. The Atari 2600. I, I lusted after one. I didn't have one. Um, but, oh, the Atari 2600, come on this week in history. So the I, I told Seth when I saw this, this was relevant because I had just uh, had this sort of conversation this week. I have maintained for decades that my first video game system was not an Atari 2600, but an Atari 1600. And people say, no, you're mistaken. There was no Atari 1600. It was an Atari 2600. And you can, you can search the Googles. And you can find all kinds of references for things that, you know, weren't uh, arguments about whether there was a 2600 or whether there was a 1600. But I, I'm telling you, I spent many, many hours staring at this little wood grain panel box, and it was definitely a 1600 stamped on it. Um, and I don't know if that was a, you know, a limited release thing. I don't know, but I am 100% certain that I had an Atari 1600, although people tell me that there's no such thing as an Atari 1600. Um, what say you, listener to the show, what say you guys, what is 
is there such a thing as an Atari 1600? Now, uh, Atari themselves uh, list the 1600XL as a vaporware, something that they were working on that never got out of uh, production. Um, uh, <laughs> Rick in the chat room says mine was a, a ripoff from Taiwan. I don't think they were really doing that back then, but maybe. Um, uh, anyway, I, I don't know. Uh, are you guys aware of an Atari 1600? Or no, am I, I just deluded? That. No, but if you still got it, it's probably worth a mint. Oh no, I, no. I I've never heard of the sixteen hundred. Um, you know, I mean, I've never heard of it. I know the twenty six hundred had the little uh, faux wood grain on it, but um, the the it's one of those. I wonder if it's like um. You know, I wonder if 16 could refer to, like, how much memory it had. You know, like, I think it had 16K. So, I don't know. But uh, I don't... I've, I've not heard of one. That doesn't mean it didn't exist. Yeah, so my my box um, uh, didn't have one of the buttons. I forget which one it was. Like, there was a, a select... Uh, the maybe the color black and white there was some there was something that mine didn't have that that when my friends got one theirs did have and so i'm, I'm thinking maybe mine was just a limited release uh, and maybe i'm just entirely insane but uh, you know again i spent many many formative years with this thing um playing pac-man with sounds effects that went ank 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 when it ate something and playing um uh, battle uh, tank uh, game wars and, and those sort of things and I just I I hope that I wouldn't be so wrong about something that was such a pivotal part of my childhood uh, but maybe I am uh, but I, I have been for years saying that I had an Atari 1600 well I predict you're going to get a lot of emails on that yeah. because old vintage computer game consoles is like hot property yeah, so let me know. I mean, clearly I don't have it anymore. Uh, it's been trashed. Um, I, in my inquisitive nature, wanted to know if I could program the Atari by jumping different pins in that slot in the front, right? Because if, if you put your cartridge in, you could see that it touched, it made metal connections. And I thought, well, if I take my trusty, rusty Scout pocket knife and I jump from here to there, am I programming the system? Can I make something happen? And yes, I could absolutely make something happen. I could make it into a paperweight. <laughs> I've never said that. I told my mom, I don't know what happened. It just stopped working. So here I've, 40 years later, uh, well, 30 years later, I have just confessed uh, on on the world stage to having destroyed my uh, Atari 1600 by sticking my pocket knife in it just to see what it would do. <laughs> This sounds like it's rarer than the Yeti, according to Rick. He's posting in the <laughs> chat room that it's not even listed in Google. Yeah, so he's doing some 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 searches and uh, doing the same searches that I've done because I, you know, I, I have been accused. My my uh, my memory has been called into question, and naturally, you go to the Googles to back you up, and and Google can't back me up. So maybe I just totally hallucinated this. But listeners, what do you think? Did I own an Atari twenty uh, sixteen hundred? Or did I own an Atari 1600 with maybe somebody misprinted a label? Maybe is it so much more valuable? Could it, could it now be worth millions because it was one of a limited run with a misprinted label? I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's positive, you know, because I think if 
didn't Atari try to come out with some like more computer, less game console and more computer sort of to compete with the Commodore 64, which while it was technically a computer was one of the most awesome gaming rigs available whenever we were younger. Um, but it was a computer that excelled as games. Maybe there was an Atari 1600 computer that was a, that you could play games with. Well, Atari's attempt at the computer was the Amiga, right? No, 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 no. They, no, no. What happened? Happen. What happened was Atari came out with the four hundred and eight hundred range computers before the Commodore sixty four came out. Um, it was like about nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty, I think, when that stuff came out. And Commodore sixty four came out in eighty. What was it eighty two? Something like that. Um, it okay, was Amiga, around. Amiga was a spinoff of Commodore. I was thinking yeah. it was a spinoff of Atari. No, right. no, no. Now, Atari were in the computer market very early on, uh, but they they were not part of the original big three, you know, the TRS-80, Apple II, and the Commodore PET. They came in afterwards. But, yeah, their, their real claim to fame was the 2600 when that came out. And I remember the 5200 had that switch on the console that could actually pause a game live. Oh, it was amazing. And that... You know, that might go down as the single, second only to Pong, the single most important development in video games. Because, you know, Pong was like, I mean, there was that one super computer mainframe application game that you could just like move a spaceship and fire and not do anything. I can't remember it. But Pong was like one of the first retail video games made um and i you know it might have had a different name but it was basically pong um and you know and aside about that the developers got a call from the bar owner they put it out and said hey your console's broken and they went down and found out it had been stuffed so full of quarters that it couldn't hold anymore so they had to empty it out and start working again but no that and then the the 5200 while not a hugely popular console introduced pause to the world of the video gamer I remember the commercials for that, uh, the ability to pause a game, yep. you know, and of course the, every, every game thereafter had it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, just, just to be able to pee that changed my life as, as a fledgling gamer, as a child. Yeah. I never had either one, you know, um, but yeah, uh, back in, I, I lusted after an Atari. Well, my brother and I teamed up on my mom and promised her we would never ask for another quarter again to go in a video game if she would just get us the Atari 1600 and I'm sticking with that. Um, and I, and I'm sure she mortgaged her future to buy that game, uh, for us. And then of course the very next day when we were at the Safeway grocery store, we said, mama, can we have a quarter for the video game? Um, <laughs> but because my mother loved us uh, or maybe because she was just tired of hearing us, we were, we were one of the first early, early on to get an Atari game console what we didn't couldn't afford ever again was games so we had uh we got it came with uh the battle tank game and we bought space invaders and that was it for like eight years those were the two games and it wasn't until ColecoVision and those guys started making the knockoff cartridges for 20 bucks that i was able to buy games um and and you know like seven eight years later i was still buying games for the atari because that was it that was the one discretionary spending we would ever have until we moved out of the house that was it wow did you ever see that there was a movie made in 2014 called atari game over yes you guys ever see that where they dug up the et games yeah that was so funny it was such a geek 
sort of movie. Uh, but absolutely worth watching if you haven't seen it. That was so funny, that movie. All right, let's move on to Seth. Close us out with what do you have to lower my productivity this week so that you seem like a better hiring option? Okay, this is um, it's what should I read? Um, what should I read next.com? You go there and you put in the title of a um, title of a book you like, and then it suggests a bunch of different possibilities for you to read. And they're pretty good because, like, I put in on Basilic Station the first Honor Harrington book, which, Mark, I know you didn't like, but I really enjoyed. Um, and most of the things, it's like, oh, I've read that one. It was good. I've read that one. It was good. I've read that one. It was good. So this has the um, – has the if you're like me, I could literally stay up all night reading a book on this list next. So what should I read next.com for all of your um, insomnia – um, induced, you know, poor productivity at work the next day thing. <laughs> uh, m- much of this appears to be just a simple word search. I typed in Ender for Ender's Game, uh-huh. and I got uh, Ender's Shadows, Genocide, Children of the Mind, all these things. And I also got The Tender Bar, um, The O'Malley Chronicles by D. Henderson, Tender at the Bone, uh, so it, uh, apparently anything with Ender in it, the particular sadness of lemon cake by Amy Bender. So it doesn't seem like a very sophisticated search. Well, like, but. okay, I put in on Basilic station and it's putting in like Eric Flint, 1634, which I could see the crossover there. John Ringo, when the devil dances a hymn before battle, good, good books. If you're into that sort of thing, um, you know, some, uh, Eric Flint, David Drake collaborations. So, you know, I mean, having read many of the books on this list, I could see where, yes, you know, and it doesn't seem to be any word related to it. So it's really funny. It's, it's, it's so literal text search because I put in demon by Daniel Suarez, the cyberpunk kind of book. And, uh, of course, now I've gotten every Satanist title known to man <laughs> being suggested. Well, it's so, D-E-A-M-O-N, maybe that, or D-A-M-O-N. Yeah, no, even even with that, I'm still getting John Crowley books. I mean, it's this is nuts. <laughs> Which, by the way, I loved that book and Freedom uh, not quite as much. Uh, I would like Daniel Suarez to do more stuff along yeah, those lines. Yeah, he's great. Um. Okay, good stuff. Uh, I'm all about, uh, you know, as I've, you guys have followed me on this journey of not being a reader to being a, a an audible uh, consumer. People get pedantic when I call it reading. Um, I, I consume books now at, you know, at the rate of dozens a year where it had been a dozen years since I read a book. Um, <laughs> and it's just because the, the physical act of scanning my eyes across the page is not something I enjoy. Uh, I just... Uh, I don't know why dyslexia, uh, laziness. I don't know why I don't like it, but I love story and I love narrative and I love learning. So I, I try to alternate, you know, as I've said many times for fiction, nonfiction, fiction, nonfiction. Um, right now I'm, I'm sort of, uh, slogging through a, an incredibly detailed and fascinating, but at the same time, very dry 30 plus hour biography of Abraham Lincoln. Um, fascinating man, good book, but kind of makes me doze off in traffic. Does he? Uh, uh, does he cover his vampire hunter years? No, no, that's uh, that's left to uh, other people to discuss. <laughs> okay. Um, interestingly, though, I found Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter to be a better biography of Abe Lincoln <laughs> than this one. Um, more interesting, 
Um, not all of it true, but uh, certainly more interesting. Um, but anyway, uh, I was I was in the middle of a pitch. Uh, com slash Audible. If you've never tried Audible, I'm, I'm frankly surprised that you you would be a podcast listener who's never tried Audible. But if you've never tried it, uh, I, I can get you a book free, just like everybody else in the world. I'm nothing special. It's a deal. Everybody does. But you might as well do it for me. Uh, go to elementopi.com slash Audible. You get a, um, a free month. Basically, they'll send you a book. If you don't like it, you cancel it. No harm, no foul, but you keep the book. If you do like it, they're going to charge you, I think it's 20 bucks a month, uh, and you get uh, two book a book a month or two bucks a month, depending on how much you spend. Um, and if you are if you like podcasts, you're probably going to like Audible. Just saying. Uh, no skin off my nose either way. If you cancel the book, I don't get the money, but I don't, uh, you know, I'm not harmed in any way either. Um, and, you know, as I know people have done, you register with one uh, address and get a free book and then register with another email address and get a free book. I'm not sure I condone that behavior. That that's, seems pretty close to stealing to me, but it is, it is a thing that people do. Um, and one of the, my favorite things about Audible is there no hassle, no questions asked return policy. If you don't like a book for any reason, just send it back and you get your credit back or you get your money back because they want you to enjoy your read. So there's my unpaid commercial for Audible. Uh, it is, it's, 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 it's over speak to say it's changed my life, but it has certainly enhanced my life in a very uh, dramatic and positive way. Well, then that means it has changed your life. So, but yeah. Okay, that's it. This was uh, an hour and 40 minutes of not a whole lot, but uh, I hope you enjoyed it anyway. Um, So go ye therefore and make disciples of all people. Uh, Tell them about uh, this show. Tell them why you like it, because honestly, it's going to take a lot of explaining to explain why you want to listen to three uh, 40-somethings uh, complain for an hour and 40 minutes. Frankly, I don't know why you enjoy it. You need to explain it to me too. Uh, but if you do and you think other people might, do us a favor and tell them about it. Uh, leave us a review. Um, you know, uh, little, little things like tweeting the, an episode. You know, I just listened to this and post a link to it. These things matter. These things help. Uh, and the best thing you could do for us is, you know, continue our quest for world domination. Uh, the idea being more, lis- more listeners mean, means we're more uh attractive to uh advertisers if you don't want advertising pay for it you know i i've been on record many times as as saying you know if you like something pay for it patreon.com slash element is a way that if you like something you could pay for it so uh that's all i'm going to say about that thanks for hanging out with us uh miles seth uh thank you for being the excellent co-host that i can afford uh and uh we enjoy uh, being here and uh, we in, we hope that you enjoy uh, being here with us but uh, we'll see you next week where we'll talk about probably not much of anything uh, because that's it for this episode of The Geek Rant. <laughs>